Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you, going at, this, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. So this passage that Anne just read for us records the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. And you could say that with these final words, Jesus gave his disciples three things. He gave them a mission. He gave them a promise. And he gave them a specific word of instruction, a mission, a promise, and a word of instruction. So first you'll notice that he gave them and he gave us a mission. Jesus told us what he wants us to do. You see that at the end of verse 8. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses, he said, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Christ here, as in other places, said, he said, I want my church to go into the entire world and tell everyone about me. I want you to bear witness to me. Now, there, there are different ways that the church can bear witness to Christ, and all of them are important. Uh, for example, um, we can point people to Jesus through our good deeds. When, uh, when Christians help the poor, when they welcome the immigrant, when they serve the needs of their neighbors, these good deeds can draw people's attention to the Savior. And I think you would agree that that's very important. Uh, the jazz singer Billie Holiday, who grew up in very extreme poverty, she said this, she, she said, you've got to have something to eat and a little love in your life before you can hold still for anybody's sermon on how you ought to behave. 
That makes sense to me. Without, listen, without deeds of love and mercy and service and justice, uh, the, the message of the gospel will sound fairly hollow to the world, right? They need to see the love of Christ as well as hear about the love. And, and so this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So one way we bear witness to Christ is through our good deeds. Another way we do this is through our good lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the apostle said this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see the good things you do and glorify God on the day He visits us. So listen, when Christians lead lives of financial integrity and sexual fidelity and relational honesty and moral purity, when we live the, lead these kinds of lives, this, this bears witness to the power of Jesus to change a person's lives. And it's important for the world to see that. There's a, my father has a friend who... Before this man was a Christian, he was driving along one day and he saw a car that had broken down and was just abandoned on the side of the road. And this man pulled over to look at the car. He noticed that the trunk was not locked. He opened the trunk and inside he found a very expensive toolbox that was filled with, with valuable tools. So this man stole the toolbox. He grabbed it from the trunk, put it in his pickup and drove off, uh, happy to have gained something that day. About a year or so later, this man became a Christian, and his life began to change. Well, on the toolbox, there was painted the name and the address of the owner, and he still had this in his garage, and he knew he had to do something about this. So he took the toolbox, put it back in his truck, drove to the address, rang the bell, a man answered the door, and my father's friend said to him, uh, sir, you don't know me, but I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Um, a couple of years ago, your car was broken down. I stole your tools. I'm here to give them back to do whatever I need to do to make this right and to ask if you would forgive me. You see, he said, I've become a Christian and my life has changed. The man whose toolbox had been stolen, when he heard this and saw this behavior of this, this man returning what he had taken from him, the man whose toolbox had been stolen, he then became a Christian. Not immediately, but very shortly thereafter. And the two of them became very close friends. There was something about seeing the change that God did in someone's life, that God could take a thief and turn him into an honest man. There, there's something about when the world sees integrity and holiness in the lives of believers, it, it grabs their attention. It points them to Jesus. So how, how are we witnesses? How do we bear witness to Christ? Well, we can do it through our good deeds, serve, acts of service. We do it through our good lives. We, we also bear witness through our love for each other. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Guys, listen, when Christians unite together in sincere love, especially when those Christians come from, from uh, different ethnic backgrounds or different political parties or maybe different worship traditions, when Christians who differ in various ways unite in love, wow, the world sits up and pays attention. They notice that. It draws their attention to Jesus. Tertullian 
the African theologian who was born in the second century, one of the great apologists of the, of the early church, he said, he said that in his opinion, the greatest proof of the gospel's power is when the world observes the church and says, see how they love one another. They're ready to die for each other. It, it grabs the attention of the world and directs them to Jesus. When people who differ in, in numerous ways love each other because they're united now in Christ. So how do we bear witness to, the, to, to Jesus? Our good deeds, our good lives, our, our love for each other. And then one more, and by the way, this is without a doubt the most important way. In, in fact, if, if we're doing all the other things but we don't bear witness in this way, it won't do any good. We need, we need to bear witness to Christ through our words. Like the mother of a three-year-old might say to her child, use your words, right? We, we need to use words to share the message of Christ with people. Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul said this, and, and I think you would agree, this is good news. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he means the Lord Jesus, will be saved. Isn't that great? Everyone, without limit, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, anyone and everyone who calls on Jesus in faith will be delivered from sin, adopted into God's family, made heirs of God's kingdom. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But then the apostle asks a series of rhetorical questions. He says, how can they call on one in whom they've never believed? And how can they believe in one of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? What if there's anyone in your life that just needs to be told about Christ? There's an old uh, gospel song by Andre Crouch, and, and the song is voiced in the words of Jesus, as if Jesus is singing this. Here's how the words go. Tell them. Even if they don't believe you, just tell them. Even if they don't receive you, just, oh, tell them for me. Please tell them for me. Tell them that I love them. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So we are to bear witness. And how? Our good deeds, our good lives, our love for each other, and, and, and most of all, our words about Christ. This, this is the mission that Christ has given to the church. He says, you will be my witnesses. Now, the Greek scholars will tell us that that word my, where he says, you will be my witnesses, is written in the emphatic form. That means he's, he's putting the emphasis on himself. He's saying, I want you to bear witness to me. He says, church, focus on me, not on anything else. I think we need to hear this, right? You see, he would say, Jesus would say, don't focus on politics. Don't focus on, uh, on culture wars. Don't, don't, don't focus on ending abortion. Don't focus on fighting racism, as important as those things are. Don't focus on the family. Don't, he would say, don't focus on anything, but focus on me. And it's so easy to kind of lose sight of that. You'll notice in this passage, the disciples standing right there in the presence of Jesus, they, they get distracted. 
Verse 6, they ask him a question. This question is not a, really a theological question or an eschatological question. They're asking a question about a political issue of their day. They say to him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now we've got these Roman armies in here occupying us. We have this lousy king, Herod, on the throne. What is your political agenda for our country right now? What are you going to do about this political situation? And Jesus says, would you stop worrying about that? Would you let God worry about that? Your job is this. Go bear witness to me. That's the mission of the church, right? I don't know if you ever saw, you've seen that old show, uh, Mission Impossible, a series of movies on Mission Impossible, always at the beginning of, the, of those uh, movies, the, uh, the secret agent will receive some kind of apparatus that has a recording, and the recording always says, your mission should you choose to accept it, is X, Y, or Z. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. Well, guys, bearing witness to Christ, this is our mission, whether we choose to accept it or not. This is what Christ has called us to do. So with his final words, he gave them a mission. Secondly, you'll notice he gave them a promise. You see that in verse 8. This is the promise. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness. He, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would empower the church, empower his people to fulfill their mission. He promised the power of the Spirit. Now, you, you, we, should, we should notice that the promise of the Holy Spirit, this was not a new idea. This is not something that Jesus just thought of on, on the spot. This was not an afterthought. God's plan uh, to redeem a people to be His own and to empower them with His Spirit to bring glory to His name, th that plan has been around through the ages. It's not a new idea. You'll notice in verse 4, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the gift. The gift I just thought of? No. He calls him the gift the Father promised. He said, my Father has been talking about this for a long time. What did he mean by that? Well, if you've read in the Old Testament, you may have noticed that for centuries through his, his prophets, God had been telling his people again and again that one day, one day, as a result of the Messiah's work, the Holy Spirit would come to live in us to empower us in ways that no one had ever really experienced before. Isaiah 44, verse 3, God said this, I will pour water on the thirsty land. Have you ever been thirsty? He said, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 36, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Joel chapter 2, another ancient prophecy. God said this. He said, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, even on the slaves, he says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So for centuries... 
The Father had been promising again and again, I will one day send the Spirit to you. And now Jesus said to his disciples, now the time for the fulfillment of that promise is here. Verse 5, he said, John baptized you with water, but in a few days, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Spirit. I wonder how uh, the disciples felt when they heard Jesus say, in a few days, you will receive this gift. Man, when I, was, when I was a kid, when I knew my birthday was just a few days away, I'm going to get a gift, or Christmas is just a few days. I, I was so excited, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Was it like that with you? And, and this is what Christ is saying. This is the promise. You've been waiting for centuries. You've been, you've been longing for this. He looks at his disciples and he says, Oh, it's just around the corner. Just around the corner. He gives them this mission. He gives them this promise. And then one more thing you'll notice. He gives them a very specific word of instruction. And the instruction that Christ gave to them was this. He said, wait. Wait. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my Father promised. Now, don't you wonder why, why did Jesus tell them to wait? I mean, he's, just, he, he's revealing that they have an enormous job they need to do. They have this big mission they have to accomplish. They have to bear witness to Christ throughout the entire world. I mean, it, yes, it will be nice when the Spirit finally gets here, but why should we wait? I mean, can't we at least get started? There's so much that needs to be done. Why, why waste time? Why wait? It's kind of like imagine you go to help a friend move. Your friend, she's moving to a new apartment. You're the first one to arrive. You know that eventually other uh, helpers will come to assist with, with, with the work, but, you know, why not at least get started? You don't just sit there and do nothing. At least while you're waiting, bring a couple of boxes out to the curb. Why would you just wait? Why not start? Jesus says, wait. Don't start anything. Don't lift a finger. Don't do a thing. He says, don't even leave Jerusalem. Wait. Now, why did Jesus tell them to wait? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus knew, listen, without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, he knew that they could do nothing at all that would count in the kingdom of God. This, this is something It's so easy for us to forget this. Let me speak for myself. It's easy for me to forget this. Is this for you? The work of God cannot be done apart from the power of the Spirit. The work of God cannot be done. We can go through the motions of all kinds of churchy type things, but the work of God that brings glory to Him, it cannot be done apart from the Spirit. Listen, here, here's what drives this home for me. If you look in the Gospels, even Jesus Himself, the incarnate Son of God, He did not begin His ministry until the Spirit came on Him at His baptism. I mean, you read the Gospels. There, there is no record of Jesus ever preaching a sermon, ever leading in prayer, ever healing the sick, ever feeding the poor. There's no record of Jesus ever even attempting any kind of kingdom work until He received the Spirit. 
You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, the reason, the reason Jesus did all this great stuff, I mean, he raised the dead and healed the sick and preached with power. The reason he did that is because he's God, you know. It's easy for him because he's God. Listen, he is God, all right, but Jesus did not do the work of his ministry. He did not perform miracles. He did not preach as God. He did the work of his ministry as a man, as a human being who was empowered by the Spirit. Jesus, Jesus did his work through the Spirit. Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach. Matthew 12, 28, he said, I drive out demons by the Spirit of God. Acts 10, 38 says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. God the Spirit was with him. So, it, listen, Jesus did his ministry um, as a human being empowered by the Spirit. In, here's what intrigues me. In this passage, if I'm reading this right, in this passage, isn't this amazing? Even here as the risen Lord, He has conquered the grave. He's conquered the death. But even as, as, as the risen Lord, look at verse 2. It says He gives instructions to His apostles through the Holy Spirit. Something as simple as just giving some instructions to someone as the risen Lord. He only does it through the power of the Spirit. So isn't, it's no wonder he told his disciples to wait. I mean, if Christ himself would not attempt to do the work of God without the power of the Spirit, how crazy for us to ever think we could do it on our own. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? So he said, just wait. Just wait. It's the one thing I'm asking. God will take care of everything else. The Spirit will come, but I want you just wait. And if you read on, you'll see that they did. They, they waited. They went back to Jerusalem. They didn't wait, you know, just sitting around or playing video games or just wasting time. They waited in prayer. I think instinctively they understood what Christ meant. When he said wait, he, mean, he, he, he meant go to God in prayer. They gather in prayer until the day of Pentecost. We'll, we'll read about this next week when that great initial outpouring of the Spirit came upon the church. They waited. Now what about, about us now? Well, we don't. We do not need to wait for the Spirit in the same sense that they did on this occasion. Pentecost has already happened. The Spirit has already been given to the church. So we don't need to wait for the Spirit in the same sense that they did. But would you agree that in another sense, we still need to wait for the Spirit, don't we? I mean, we, we still need to cry out in prayer, right? We still, as we do the work of God together as a church, we still need to depend on the power of, of the Comforter, the power of, 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 the, uh, of the, the, the Holy Spirit. It, because if we don't, I think we will accomplish nothing that counts for eternity. One uh, Christian scholar named N.T. Wright, he, he said this, he said the task of the church cannot be attempted without the Spirit. He said, I've sometimes heard, heard Christians 
Christian people talk as though having done what he's done in Jesus, God now wants us to do our part by getting on with things under our own steam. He said that is a tragic misunderstanding and leads either to arrogance or to burnout or to both. He went on to say, without God's Spirit, there is nothing we can do that will count for God's kingdom. Without God's Spirit, the church simply can't be the church. So if you think about our setting right here, what God has called us to do in, in this part of Queens, listen, church, for us to serve the poor around us in, in ways that in ways that are not condescending, in, in ways that don't strip people of their dignity, in ways that just build people up for us to serve the poor that way. ACC, listen, we need the Spirit. And, and for us as Christian men and women and boys and girls, for us to lead lives of holiness that draw people's attention to Christ, ACC, we need the Spirit, right? And, and for us to love each other. I mean, sincerely love each other. Because, I, I mean, I, maybe I'm the exception here, but you guys are pretty messed up, you know? I mean, no, I, 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 I fit that description too. We're all flawed. We are all flawed, and we have very many differences. For us to love each other, really do that as brothers and sisters, we need the Spirit. And for us as a, a community of faith to communicate the gospel to the world around us in ways that really leads to, to uh, changed lives, what you would agree, we need the Holy Spirit. Now we don't, as I said, we don't need the Spirit in the, in the sense that we need Him to be given to the church. No, that has happened at Pentecost. But we need Him in the sense that every day we need fresh filling fresh power, fresh direction, fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit. You need this. I need this. We need this. And I'm convinced, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I am convinced that churches experience the filling, the power of the Holy Spirit only to the extent that they're willing to wait for Him in prayer. A question for us in all of our works of ministry, every community group, every worship service, every endeavor, every ESL class, are we just rushing into it, doing it in our own strength? Or are we going to say, no, we will wait for the Spirit in prayer. An evangelist who spent many years preaching in the continent of Africa once said this, and I don't know the context, but I suspect he had the North American church in mind when he said it. He said this. He said, the less Holy Spirit we have, the more cake and coffee we need to keep the church running. Well, can I just say, guys, we don't need cake and coffee do we? I mean, don't get me wrong, I love cake and coffee. I'm all in favor of that. But we don't need cake and coffee. We don't need eloquent preaching. We don't need perfect music. We don't need our own building. We don't need a COVID-free world. We don't, listen, we don't need those things to accomplish the mission Christ has given us. 
everything we need to bear witness to Christ where he's placed us. Everything we need has been promised by Jesus to us. With these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I'd love an amen to that. Thank you. Amen. Can we pray? Father, I want to ask your forgiveness for the many times I have tried to do your work in my own strength or ability and for the times that we as a church have done that. I pray that you would call us to a deeper dependence on the Holy Spirit than we have known as a congregation. I pray that you will stir within our heart a, a, a sense of longing to see you accomplish the mission of Christ through us. And I pray that you will make us aware that we need the Spirit's empowering if we are to do that, that you will humble us before you and call us to seek Him, to seek His filling, to seek His power, to seek a, a, a manifest sense of His presence, to seek the Spirit in prayer as a church and as individuals. Pour out in fresh ways the promised Spirit on us. Amen.